You know, this week as we, we look forward to be thankful or uh, to Thanksgiving, all that we have to be thankful for, I bet there's a lot of things that you're excited about. I'm wondering, we can do a little show of hands. You can raise your hand if you're at home too. Um, how many of you, you're excited to eat some great food this week? Anybody? Yeah, that's great. How many of you are cooks and you're excited about cooking this week? Yeah? A little smaller crowd, right? How many of you are excited you're not the one cooking this week? Yeah. <laughs> And the cooks are all like, yeah, we're happy you're not the one cooking, too. We know how that might go, right? How many of you are excited about seeing some grandkids or great-grandkids? Yeah, that'll be exciting, too. Watching some football or something on TV? Anybody there? Yeah? Who's excited about seeing the in-laws? Oh, a little smaller crew, I see. <laughs> some might refer to that as suffering. I don't know. Hmm. You might, you know, interesting, today we're actually talking about suffering. And you might be like, seriously? Does anybody plan these topics in advance? It's Thanksgiving week. Come on, why, why would we talk about suffering on Thanksgiving week of all times? Well, Peter is going to help to reframe suffering for us a little bit today. And I, my, my prayer is that as we, as we look at the scriptures and we look at what God's doing around the world today uh, through his church, um, that, that God would help us perhaps even to grow in our own understanding of suffering and how God can use that in our lives. Not that God causes all of it, but God can use it to even to draw us closer to him. It's kind of connected to what we said last week. We were talking about being set apart for Jesus, that, that God calls us to live in a way that is set apart from the rest of the world. Not just like in a weird way. I mean, you can be weird and set apart, and that's not necessarily a holy thing. He's calling us to be set apart in a holy way, that, that the way that we live our lives would reflect God, and that, that through that, that we would be set apart, that we would be different, that the world, would, when they would see us, they would say, there's something about them. There's something about these followers of Jesus. I want to know more. I, they're, they're just different. They don't when people mistreat them, they respond differently. Their, their priorities, their values are different. I, I want to understand that. We said last week that what's right is not always popular, and what's popular is not always right. God may call you to live differently, and there may be times where that may bring about some suffering or some difficulty in your life. We're at the point in this series on Peter where we've talked about his, his stories in the Gospels with Jesus. And then early in, or in the book of Acts, how God is using him as this rock on whom the church is built upon and doing miracles and signs and wonders and all these things God's doing. Now we're to the epistles, the two letters that Peter writes. He writes these, we believe, later in his life, soon before his death. He writes them to the church. These, are, these would have been shared with a variety of churches, we believe, uh, spread around the Roman world. For Peter was the, the, the rock, the foundational evangelist uh, for some of these churches. And so his words were so important to them. He writes to these churches about suffering. And the reason why is because this was very relevant to what they were going through at the time. Uh, many scholars believe that Peter went to Rome at the end of his life. We know that Paul did, and, and church tradition says that Peter did, and that Peter would actually give his life as a martyr there in Rome. What had happened is that a guy named Nero had come into power. You might have heard his name before. Nero is a very evil Roman emperor, and and I'll give you a little bit about his backstory, you'll understand a little bit about why he was the way he was. 
Uh, Nero, uh, his mother, wanted him to become the emperor. He wasn't yet the emperor, and, and his mom wanted him to be the emperor, right? Which, of course, that's normal. Moms think highly of their kids, right? Like, my kid should be in charge. This would be great, right? The thing is, though, it makes it interesting is the current emperor was her husband. So she wanted her son instead of her husband to be in charge. Now, it wasn't actually his son. It was a blended family. And so she wanted this so much that she poisoned her own husband. Well, that's not good. And then also, he, uh, this husband had another son who would have been next in line, so uh, Mama took him out as well to make sure that Nero could be in charge. So this is messed up. We might say that Nero's mom has some control issues perhaps here, which actually she did because then Nero uh, became in charge, and eventually he got tired of listening to mom and what she wanted to do, so he put mom, historians say, into retirement. I don't know what mom retirement looks like. I don't know, but it didn't work well because she kept offering input, so he invited her to uh, join him for this holiday at this place by the sea. She had to take a boat to get there, and so they got there. They had their little holiday. He sent her back in a boat that Nero had sabotaged, which is not a nice Mother's Day gift at all, and uh, so sure enough, the boat sank, but unfortunately for Nero, Mama was also a good swimmer. She made it to shore, but unfortunately for Mama, Nero just sent the soldiers to take her out. So this is your family tree here, okay? Messed up family. In fact, Nero, true story, historians say that Nero actually would, would roam the street. He would sometimes roam the streets of Rome at night. He would go out at night, and he would literally murder innocent civilians who were just walking by. Uh, not every day, but it was just something he would do for entertainment. So, this guy is messed up. It's disgusting, Okay. And so what happened then was that there was a, a great fire, a giant fire broke out in Rome, terrible fire, and it burned for uh, roughly a week or so. And Nero uh, caught a lot of political flack about this. Some say that he started it, that's a possibility. Um, others at least believe that he didn't do enough to contain it. And so, the, so Nero was in trouble, and so he did what politicians love to do, and he passed the buck. And he passed the buck to the Christians. And he said, the Christians are the ones who started this fire. They are not loyal citizens of Rome. They, they, they are not faithful citizens of Rome. And so he began to persecute them to take the heat off of himself. And it was horrible. It was horrible what the Christians went through. And I, I'm not trying to be gross here, but just to give you a picture. Uh, they, would, they had um, these poles there in Rome. And, these, uh, and they would put Christians up on these poles, and they would paint them with tar, and they would light them on fire. And they would light the streets with Christians who were burning there at night. It was a Roman penalty for arson. They also accused them of, of treason. And in Rome, the, the punishment for treason uh, was that they would connect, they would tie each of your limbs to a different horse, and they would have the horses take off and tear the person apart limb by limb. It was just awful. They, they, that Christians were fed to lions eventually in the Colosseum. They were crucified. Uh, Paul himself was beheaded. Like, just awful atrocities. So when Peter talks about suffering, he's not just saying, like, oh, you missed an opportunity for promotion of work. I mean, that, that's a bummer. But he's talking about a whole different world of suffering than what I would say any of us know. 
So, so Paul, or so Peter, excuse me, is, is talking about suffering, and he says this about it. It's a very interesting take. First Peter chapter 4. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Now that's odd. We're going through all this horrific suffering, and Peter goes, don't be surprised, it's actually kind of normal. <laughs> Wait, time out, what? Not normal, not okay. What are you saying, Peter? He's not justifying it, okay? He's just saying, don't be surprised as if it's something strange that is happening. Now, this seems to be a very bad marketing campaign for the church, right? <laughs> Join the church where suffering is normal and expected. No thank you, right? Like, that's not a great pitch in your membership class, right? You could meet lions. No, we don't want to meet lions. This sounds horrible. Why on earth would we be saying this? Well, there was a deeper reason for Christian suffering. You see, when you suffer for your faith, there's always a deeper purpose. doesn't mean God causes all of it, but he uses it for a deeper purpose. Verse 13, instead, be very glad. That's how you meet suffering. He says, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. What an incredible way of look at, looking at suffering. Instead of seeing it as a tragedy, Peter defines it as a sign that you are a partner with Christ. Basically, he's saying, look, Jesus went to the cross for us. Why can we be Christians? Because he took my sin, your sin, all of our sins on his body, and he went to the cross, he suffered, and he died. And he challenges us to take up a cross and follow him. So if you're suffering, Peter says, it's normal and actually you're closer to Christ. You're closer to Christ in suffering because this is exactly what Jesus did for you. So the world, my friends, finds misery in suffering, whereas Christians find meaning in suffering. It doesn't mean that we love it. It doesn't mean that we want it. But we can find a, different, a deeper purpose. Because if all there is to this life is just what you get here and there's no eternity, then suffering is an awful tragedy. It just is. But if there's a deeper purpose, if there's eternal life, if somehow this suffering connects us with our God, maybe our God speaks to us through this or strengthens our faith through it, like James, the testing of our faith develops perseverance, then maybe we can find some meaning in this. Now, this does not mean, however, that all suffering is good. There's certainly bad suffering. Next, verse 15. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. In other words, if you're, prying, if you're, if you're suffering for being stupid, that's not admirable. That's just stupid, okay? If you're on your way home from church today, and you run a red light, and you get a ticket, you can't say, I'm suffering for Jesus, I went to church. Nope. <laughs> not suffering for your Savior. You're suffering for your stupidity, okay? Just call it what it is. Not all suffering is, is honorable. Verse 16, but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. 
And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who've never obeyed the good news? And also, now he's going to say what likely was a common phrase at the time, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right, and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. In other words, everybody's going to suffer. Either you're going to suffer some here on earth for being a follower of Jesus, or you're going to suffer eternally in separation from God in hell. So suffering is not an option, because sin causes suffering. What, the question is, when are you going to suffer? It's a hard word. It really is. Peter challenges, challenges us hard today. Because when we suffer, we naturally want revenge. And the Bible says that revenge, that vengeance is God's business, not our business. And he reminds them that their sufferings have a greater purpose, that something deeper is going on in the midst of suffering. It's like God has something to say to them, and some of these words only come, some of this understanding only comes through suffering. I'm wondering if any of us, if you think back, there have been times where you've suffered for your faith in some way, shape, or form. If you have, did you find yourself praying more through that? Reading the Bible more? Relying more on God? I can just speak for myself. I certainly did. Because when things are going good, I know that I need Jesus, but it's really easy to fall into that subtle mindset of like, yeah, I need Jesus, but things are going really good and I'm doing a great job. Also, I need Jesus. That's not really Jesus as Lord. <laughs> That's like Jesus as accessory, okay? And he calls us to something much higher, much greater, much deeper than that. In our suffering, it turns our eyes on Jesus. We get desperate for him. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. God, I'm hurting. I'm suffering. I'm crying out to you. Would you help me through this? Would you strengthen me for this journey? Would you take this thing away? We find ourselves more connected with him than ever through suffering. Peter has written about this earlier in the book. In verse, chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Be truly glad there's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure trials for many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as a fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise, and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. This is a great illustration about gold here. In the ancient world, gold was very desirable for uh, jewelry, utensils, these various things. And so when they would find gold, they would need to melt it down. They would heat it up real hot for two purposes. One, to melt it so it could be reshaped into whatever they needed it to be. And two, to purify it, to get rid all that was not gold. It would be burned away or it would be filtered out. So the heat of the fire actually increased the something that was of limited value and made it of much, much greater value because now, thanks to the fire, it is pure. It is what we want it to be. And he's saying, look at your sufferings like that, that God is using suffering in your life 
purify you, to strengthen you, to make you more holy as he's holy. That when you're suffering for Jesus, that he may use this to strengthen your faith. Tim Keller said it this way, you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all that you have. I'm betting that if we're honest, very few of us would say that we fully understand that statement. I can just speak for me. I've had plenty of desperate times in my life, but I've never been at the time where Jesus was truly all that I had. I've always known where my next meal's coming from. I've always had a roof over my head. I've always had people in my life that, that love me. But you know, there are people around the world who have very, there are Christians today who have very little other than Jesus and their close immediate relationships around them. Did you know that today there are 360 million Christians who live in places around the world where persecution is very severe. Discrimination against Christians is very severe. In fact, it's often public policy. 360 million. That is one out of every seven Christians in the world today. Think if we could have one-seventh of us stand up today. That would be representative of how many. That's, that's a lot of people. Last year, just taking the Christian martyrs that we know about, which are probably were many more, we know that a, a Christian was killed for their faith every 92 minutes last year. So even if you just left home, came to church, and go back home today, a Christian will die just in the time that you were at church. Around the clock. 24-7. I want to share with you by video just a few testimonies of Christians who are in this kind of situation as a reminder to us what Christians experience this very day. They never talk about the pain. When you talk to people who have been under persecution, they have the unique awareness given to them by the Holy Spirit that this is a spiritual warfare. And somehow I have been counted worthy to be on the front line. They burned a lot of our literature. They burned our churches. They kept their guns on me and my chest many times. My churches, they burned. The buildings, they burned. And they black and blue, they've beaten many of our pastors. My father was taken away by them. They kidnapped him for the long hours. And they kept many times guns on my chest, not to go in, enter into the villages. But I said, no. We cannot stay quiet. Though people may talk and people may beat us, but we want to take the gospel to our friends. And yet our brothers and sisters on the front line of persecution do not ask for relief. They have an inner joy knowing that the gospel is being shared and the people are coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Even uh, in time of persecution, I will serve the Lord. We need to pay the price. Persecution is there, but people are yearning for the truth. It's very real. If the church has any celebrities or superheroes, it should be those guys right there those women and men 
who give up so much to do what, what we do freely here in this wonderful land. I, I had the opportunity a few years ago to, to do my doctoral studies at Asbury Seminary, and one of the things that I love about that place is that some people have been very generous there and given large gifts that have empowered um, them to scholarship students from around the world uh, to come and to study there. And so students who, couldn't, who are in countries that normally couldn't afford to do this, it's possible. And so they, they put us in this program in, in little cohorts. And, and so you're in these small groups of other students, and, you, and you're getting, it's a competitive program, so you're getting to study with just some of the, I think, some of the best Christian leaders from around the globe. It's very humbling as an American. And we were in this, was sitting in this group, it's our first time meeting, and it's probably seven or eight of us, I think, in this little group. And so we, our assignment for that meeting was just to go around and just share a little bit about our, our context in ministry. And there was, the way we were seated, there was um, a couple of Americans, maybe three or so Americans who were sitting there, and then there was several international students, and then there was me. So I was going to be the last person sharing just by the way the room was laid out that day. And, and here's kind of how it works for a lot of American pastors we're in this, when we're in a situation like this. We um, will... We'll, introduce ourselves like you would introduce yourself or whatnot, and, and then and we'll so, you know, talk just a little bit about our church, but then we'll talk about like whatever the, the great challenge we're facing at the church, or we have faced at the church is, right? And, like, and then we talk about like, but here's the great things that God is doing right now, you know, and we're thankful for that. And, and to be honest, this, this gap here in between those it's, there's some pride in that, right? It's like your success gap, right? Like, here's the problems I was given, but here's the great things that is happening. And Americans, pastors are no different than anybody else. We're competitive, right? I'm competitive. I grew up playing sports and all that. So to be honest, I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to the Americans telling their stories first, and I'm like, yeah, I think my story stands up pretty well, these guys' stories. I'm not proud of that. That's what was going through my mind at that point, right? So then we get to some of the international students, and their posture is very different, much more humble than, than us Americans, who often are. And they share, the first they share a couple things that were challenging and whatnot, and then they get to the person who's two people before me, and he was from Nigeria. And he was a very accomplished leader there, he was leading a theological school and all that kind of stuff, and he said that in the past year, there had been, I think, three times where, where in the middle of their church service, where violent people had, had, had broken in, had disrupted the service. And in two of those times, they, they, the, uh, they had taken him and thrown him on the ground, and, and he had guns pointed at him. And one of these times, he had a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old child soldiers with guns pointed at his head, arguing about whether or not they were to kill him. Imagine and he said, but I'm so thankful for the chance to share about Jesus because there's so much need in our country and God is working in an amazing way. And then they get to the next guy and he's from India and he says, well, last month in our province or neighboring province here, some evil people came to one of our churches when it was meeting and and they disrupted the meeting, and, and they, they dragged the pastor out of the church, and, and the people all fled from the church. 
And then they set the church building on fire, totally destroyed it. And then they set the pastor on fire and killed him. And we sat there in silence. And then he spoke up and he said, John, tell us about your context. And all I could say, all I could get out was this. I said, my name is John, and I'm blessed to serve some really incredible people who are way more kind and caring to me than they ever should be, and um, I don't know why I get to do that. And that was all I had. And after this pause, one of the international students, he says, he looks, at, he looks at the ease that we have, comparatively speaking, as God's blessing, and he says, we have so much to learn from you all. Look at how God is blessing you. And as Americans, we said, no, we have so much to learn from you. Your faithfulness is a model. It's, it's humbling to us. And hear me, friends, I'm, I'm not trying to minimize the suffering that you're going through. I know people in here have gone through things for their faith and probably things worse than I understand. I know that. I believe that. Maybe some of you online. But I ask you this. If you don't ever suffer for Jesus, are you really living for Jesus? If it never, if it never costs anything, and yeah, we, we're not in a context, thanks be to God, to have guns pointed at us or to have our services disrupted. We're, we're blessed to live in an amazing place where we don't deal with those things. But that doesn't mean that there won't ever be suffering or challenge. If, if your faith never disrupts your calendar, if your faith ne never causes you to be generous in a way that makes you rearrange your financial priorities, if, if, if your peers in business are, 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 are cheating and breaking the law to get ahead and, and you don't have to take some setbacks in order to do it God's way, if, if you see somebody being mocked and, and, and you don't stand up for them, if, if your, some of your values aren't necessarily popular, if you, if you just get rid of what's not popular and just try to go with the cultural flow on everything, if, if we live in these ways, friends, are we really living for Jesus? The testing of our faith, it develops perseverance. It helps us to grow. It draws us closer and closer to the Lord. And you know there's hope. There's hope in the midst of all of the suffering that we experience. Listen to what Peter, how he ends the letter. He says this, In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you and put you on a firm foundation. 
This is written by a guy who, remember, denied Jesus three times, and then he was restored. So if you're suffering, whether it's for your faith, whether it's physical ailments, I know many of you go through serious suffering there, or even if it's some suffering for dumb stuff you've done, Jesus restores, he supports, he strengthens us. He doesn't leave us in the middle of suffering, friends. So all power and all power to him forever. Amen. Tim Keller said it this way: While other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of the world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. So many times. We, we, we look at this world as Christians and we, we get discouraged and upset and all these kinds of things. And, and I get it, there's a, a holy kind of grief there. But the fact is, we should be people of great joy because we know we serve a God who is bringing restoration, who's restoring his creation to what he called it to be. That someday this is exactly what we get, a, a new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem. Right? Like God restores all that sin has wiped out. So when we go through suffering, we have hope. We don't suffer, we don't grieve the way the rest of the world grieves as people with no hope. No, instead, we have joy and we have peace and we move forward through suffering. And it doesn't mean that it's not hard. It absolutely is hard. But God, God can take our suffering and can somehow use it for his glory. I want to close with this. I don't I don't usually do this. I'm, I'm, I always ask people's permission before I share a story, but I can't. I think the Lord laid this on my heart. Today, we have a real live example of this. We're, we're doing this, uh, this, this blood drive, right? Charlotte's heart, right? And, and her father sits in the back of the room today. And they lost their child to sickness. And I can't imagine what that's like. I can't imagine the pain of that. But what have they done? They said, we want to use our pain, our suffering, to help bless other lives, to inspire others to give life. I don't know any other better way to take suffering and to use it for good. So maybe for you, maybe there's something in your life that has been painful that has hurt and has got you down. And maybe God is giving you a step forward. Maybe God wants to use that suffering. He's used it to purify you, not that he wanted it or caused it or whatnot, but he wants to use it to bring about good. Let's be obedient to that. So Lord, we just give you thanks. We give you thanks for your faithfulness in the midst of suffering. We give you thanks for your strength in the midst of very difficult times. I pray, I pray for our church family, God, for those who are going through so much right now. I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that you would encourage them. Those who are suffering, whether it's for sickness reasons or for loss, uh, those who are suffering because they've done what's right and they've followed you and they're paying a price those who are suffering in other ways. God, I just pray that you would meet them. Great physician, would you touch them? Would you heal their hearts? 
Would you bless them? Would you speak to them and even speak through them? Would you use us today, God? Would you use our sufferings to draw others to you? Would you do that in great and powerful ways? And Lord, our hearts go out today. Our prayers go up for the persecuted church around the world. We have it so good, God. Much better than we deserve. I pray, I pray for that brother in, in North Korea who's, who's reading his Bible underneath a blanket in his bed because he could be killed if people knew he had a Bible. But he just longs for you. And he longs to know you. Would you bless him? I pray for that sister who lives a life that is so oppressed because of evil laws, who lives in fear of, of sharing you with others. But she does it anyways because you told us to do that. Would you protect her today, God? Give her the courage to keep being faithful. I pray for those churches who are meeting now and they know that any loud noise at their door could be their death or destruction. Thank you for their faithfulness to you. Bless them, Lord. Draw them close to you. Protect them from evil men who want to harm them. Help us to be faithful to you, God, no matter what the circumstances. For you are always good, no matter what. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.